an individual's success depends on three factors, equal parts, one third, one third, one third, which is your ability, which is skills, timing of what you're trying to achieve, which is very important. The third one is luck that has to favor you too. I think all these three things are quite important for an individual to find success. This is the Indian Nest Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together because every story is unique. I'm very excited to have Ashwin Bharat with me on the show. He's the CEO and co-founder of Ravature, which is the largest talent enablement company in the United States. They employ over 13,000 people in software development, and they're the largest employer of entry-level technical talent. I asked him on the show because he has been able to do what the Department of Labor and Department of Education have not been able to do, bridge the technical talent gap in the United States, because everybody keeps talking about the shortage of technology people and how we can get more people into the technical world. And he's been able to do that. Welcome to the show, Ashwin. It's a real pleasure to have you on our podcast. Absolutely. Sanjay, it's a pleasure to be part of it. As I was telling you, this is the best a podcast can be, like two friends talking. And I love the term Indianness that you kept for it. it. I have heard about it, but I have never heard about something using it in mainstream. So I really like the term, actually. And I'm very excited to be here. Well, we'll ask you about that term later on. But Ashwin, to really understand the mojo or the secret success of our guests, we generally trying to go back into how they were brought up and the reasons that they became successful. So can we just start right from the beginning? Where were you born? A little bit about your background, the family, what you grew up in. So can you tell us that? Absolutely. More than happy to do that, Sanjay. Sanjay, like all of us, most of us, I come from a very humble beginning. I was born and raised in a very remote village in India. If you, if literally, if you take the tip of India, the Kanyakumari district, so my village might be in the southernmost part of India. It's a very tiny village. My dad, for obvious reasons, there was not better economic jobs there. So my dad, when I was young, worked at Saudi Arabia. And I was raised by my mom and my grandfather. I think how I have seen the success of my parents, my grandfather. My grandfather was a freedom fighter. He was quite well known in with, with Jawaharlal Nehru or with Mahatma Gandhi. So I have seen his campaigns and everything. So getting raised by him, by my mom, knowing my dad, I think all those things were quite good. But I have to tell you, apart from everything, I'm blessed with wonderful parents. I have two wonderful, beautiful sisters. I'm the middle child. I'm also having a great family like my wife and my two sons, actually. So I'm excited to have, be blessed with a very good family. So, Ashwin, what was it like growing up? Did you have any goals, objectives? Did you know you were going to come to the U.S.? I mean, academically, uh, what did you do? And was there any pressure? We call it the two profession rules that Indians have, doctors or engineers. So wh- tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You had an, obviously a very loving and nurturing family. So with the upbringing, I have to tell you, Sanjay, I was a crazy one, both in my family and also in my friend circle. I was good at education. I did not try much, but naturally I was, uh, I don't know how, I was getting good score and everything was fine. And fundamentally because math was coming naturally to me. But I always was not satisfied with what I had. I have zero hesitation in participating in competitions, trying out some crazy things. My family, after my dad came from Saudi, 
he started a very successful business. So seeing my dad, my mom being in business, I think that brought in a fire in me. And I think that was the reason the entrepreneurship seed came in me. And since that came in me, I tried to leave my engineering degree to come back and do business. My dad literally kicked me and put me back to the school. One year into my job, I tried to do the same thing to do that. But again, he kicked me back and made me go back to the work. Then I came to U.S. in two years. He was not around. Quit my job after a year after I tested and I started the business. So I think that was it. But fundamentally, I think seeing my family, seeing that, and also being ambitious and not satisfied with what around, I think that helped me a lot in trying to achieve our target, our aim for something bigger and better, actually. So watching your parents be entrepreneurs, you think the conversations at the dinner table or just watching him do that, and there was no interest in joining him or his business that you had. Like a lot of people in India, it's a family business in many ways. Many interests, right? Yes. Dinner table, conversation, stocks. And I also used to go every weekend. So after my 10th grade, we moved to Chennai. My parents moved to Chennai a few years ago. So after my 10th grade, I moved to Chennai. So weekends, like Saturday, Sunday, I just go and be part of the family business. Seeing how money is getting generated, how out of nothing, this, how the investment turns into results and then how you can scale that up. I think that was extremely fascinating. The first two times, once I, when I let, left engineering, the second when I left my job, both was to come back and work in the family business. And my dad was, you are better and bigger than this. So this is not your future. And turns out he's right, I think. so. But to answer your question, yes, I was interested to go to his family business. Oh, that's wonderful. So then what drove you to come to the U.S.? Like I said, you could have been an entrepreneur in India or Saudi Arabia or Chennai or wherever else. Tell us what drove you to the U.S. The U.S. was always fascinating for me and for like most of the Indians. Right? I would say pretty much all Indians. Right? This is the land of opportunities, the land of the future, the land of everything in my opinion. So I was personally interested. So the job I was working in India that was an opportunity for me to come in. So I worked at Satyam Computers back then. So the project I was working was General Motors, project for General Motors. Technically, GM was trying to create one single web application that will cater to 33 different countries. That was quite unique and everything. So there was a technical difficulty. So Satyam said, are you willing to go for two months to Detroit? And this is a technical challenge. Can you help it? So I did come here. I did work on that and we were successfully we launched that. I think as a matter of fact, that application is still in use as we speak. So as I was doing it, this is how fate and luck are very important for somebody's success, Sanjay. I was working on a floor. The same floor is where the global supply chain head of GM was there. So Satyam's automotive head, manufacturing head, for that individual to come and meet the supply chain person of GM, somebody has to open the door for and he got to know I was working in the same floor. So that is, he used me to come in and I was helping him. That's why I got to know him. And one fine day he asked, hey, how do you, what do you want to do? How can I help you? I told him, listen, like sales fascinates me. Can you put me as part of your pre-sales team? Uh, and he did. In a short period of time, we won quite a lot of projects. That was a quite successful. In my head, I was less than 25. I did not even think, I was not able to even rent a car back then. In my head, I thought, Pretty much all the success was because of me, which was wrong. So I quit my job and started the company. I think that is how I came to U.S. And that was the reason how I took the entrepreneurship route in U.S. Well, that's a very fascinating story. You said something, Ashwin, and generally I've not heard that from too many people. Is 
luck and fate play a big role. Do you think that we create our own luck or is it you put it, put yourself in circumstances so luck can reach out to you? I think the answer is the second one is what you do it. It's tough to create your own luck or probably you can even define that. Luck favors only the one who is prepared. So if you are prepared for the right opportunity, when the luck comes then you can do it. But the timing has to be right. So Sanjay, yeah, my personal belief is an individual's success depends on three factors, equal parts, one third, one third, one third, which is your ability, which is skills, timing of what you're trying to achieve, which is very important. The third one is luck that has to favor you too. I think all these three things are quite important for an individual to find success. This particular statement, Sanjay, always motivates me, which is Victor Hugo, the famous philosopher, French philosopher, we all know him. So he said the statement, which is greater than the threats of a mighty army is an idea whose time has come. So if you think about it, that idea for the right time is going to be very powerful like than the threats of a mighty army. Think about like you and I are old school. We know Lotus Notes from IBM. Lotus Notes back then, 20, 25 years ago, it can do everything. It had document sharing system, email, chat, everything. Now all of a sudden Teams comes in with all these things and we are like, wow, Mm -hmm. IBM did that 25 years ago, but they did it so early. Same thing with Watson. Same thing, many of these things, right? I think the timing, that's why timing, luck, and skills, all three have to combine for the perfect time for you to uh, find success, actually. Oh, that's very helpful. Skills, timing, and luck. I think that's a good point for our listeners. Because a lot of people who listen and want to follow in your path, so those three things are very, very important. Now, your education was in computers, Ashwin, that you got educated? Actually, no, Sanjay. I, I did electronics and communication engineering. As a matter of fact, I had zero programming knowledge when I graduated. Satyam hired me for my aptitude and they trained me and I turned out to be a good programmer. I, that was also the founding thesis of Revature, our company, because we have this India Inc. producing hundreds of thousands of new engineers every year. We did not have, I did not find much difference or any difference for that matter in terms of your IQ capability for an engineer coming out of India or a U.S. system. But the difference we found was in U.S., Sanjay, jobs, technical jobs are seen as tech jobs. In India, it is seen as tech services jobs. The difference is if you're building a product, let's say for Google or anything, that's a tech job. But most of the jobs, programming jobs are tech services jobs. You don't need to have the mindset of thinking of a tech job. India Inc. enabled talent. And I use the word enablement because you can't create talent. You can only find them and enable them for tech services. So with Revature, with my career starting story, along with our ability to integrate the knowledge that we gained on how these Indian talent are getting enabled, that combination became the founding thesis of Revature Action. So I think you are leading us into what I wanted to ask you. So what was the genesis of this company? And was it always called Revature? Just walk us to when you left Satyam, was Revature your first attempt or was it something else? It Revature was not. So I joined hand with the other co-founder called Srikant. In mm-hmm. 2004, we started an IT consulting firm called Multivision. So we started, we were doing all fine until the financial meltdown hit. The scale was quite good. Everything was fantastic. And Sanjay, until then, because you, everybody up of the belief that you're good at what you know and what you do, and you're horrible at what you don't know and what you don't do, right? So what we know back then was H-1B visa, how to file and get H-1B visa. So our entire business was based on that. Once the financial meltdown hit, Sanjay, what we did was, listen, 
the financial meltdown is this is the time for us to revamp our business. That is when we decided, why don't we go to the opposite of H1B, which is US citizen. Back at that point, there was plenty of talent who got laid off, good programmers, but they got pigeonholed in legacy skills, not in the latest skills. They lost their job. And we saw them as great talent who's not enabled at the right manner. So as a pilot, we hired four experienced programmers, upskilled them in the latest technology. Guess what? And they, day one, we got them job assignments for all four of them in just one day. I think that transition from our IT consulting to this, and as we were progressing, Sanjay, everything was great. But with the experience hires, the model was hire locally and deploy locally because they are set in one region. They don't want to relocate. So me and Srikant was talking, how do you change, do the opposite of hire locally and deploy locally, which is hire nationally and deploy nationally. It is the exact opposite. And who will be a right fit? Recent graduates, college kids. They're backpack kids. They relocate for the job. So in 2012, we rebranded ourselves as e-intern and we changed the model into recent graduates. And since then, the scale has been good. But e-intern was confusing people because everybody thought we provide them interns. We give them junior talent. So we have to rebrand to Reviture. What Reviture means is revving to the future. We act as an accelerant to the career of these young kids. I think that is the reason why we changed it to Reviture with a much more meaningful and relevant to what we do actually. There are several things that are very fascinating in what you just said. One is you had to do a big pivot because of the financial meltdown. You could have just folded shop and said, let me join a company and stuff like that. But you actually turn that into something actually much more valuable and much more gainful. Is what led to that? Just a curiosity. I think the same thing, right? I'm being ambitious and seeing an opportunity when others did not see that, right? Because we were finding that's mm-hmm. when the Bush limitation, Bush took away the limitation on H-1B visa. That was gone a few years ago. H-1B was getting into crazy lottery. Financial meltdown was happening. Unemployment was very high. There is plenty of great talent here. Still, there was a massive need for tech talent. All the chew and cry about immigration and everything. That can be found opportunity. Like this country has a massive alternate supply chain of talent. I will give you an example. U.S. every year confers roughly 2 million four-year degree every year. On top of it, there is another 1 million two-year degree gets conferred. That's 3 million combined. And if you also do another one, there is a 27 million hidden workforce. So combined, if you think, we're talking about an alternate supply chain of talent for 30 million people. And this is a rotating supply chain. And if you think about it, can't you enable like 100,000 programmers from that? Can't you find great people with great aptitude and aptitude? We saw a big mismatch. There was one side, there was a massive need, unfilled jobs. The other side, there was a massive, like a list of talent. What we found was there was an opportunity gap. Yes, there is a skill gap, but that is not a bigger problem. The bigger problem is an opportunity gap. It is expected that great talent to reach to opportunities. What Revature did is we took opportunity towards the talent and we enabled them. I think that opportunity we saw, we started in a small manner and once we are able to successfully find, we scaled it. And one correction I want to do is in the last four years, we have employed 13,000 engineers. We don't have currently 13,000 engineers in our payroll. Well, but 13,000 is a lot. Coming back to this, Ashwin, as a layperson and somebody in the audience would think, wouldn't that be an obvious thing for companies that are somewhere laying off these people that they should reskill it or Department of Education, Department of Labor, States, etc.? What you're doing is phenomenal because we hear this UN cry that we don't have enough 
technical talent in this country. We don't have enough technical talent. We don't have cutting-edge skills. We're getting left behind. And as you just, what you've done is taken a talent which was on legacy skills and brought them to the latest. You've given them a career, and I presume you've increased their earning potential by significant amount and enabled so many families, 13,000 families in a way that you have enabled and increased their earning potential. But where are some of these companies who's also responsible, who are laying off these people or states, employment offices? So what is the gap here, Ashwin? There's too many gaps, right? I think we are talking about a much bigger and deeper problem. See, what we have done, Ravacher, it's just a drop in the bucket. But think about the benefits. Like one you said, these individuals, this is a career changing. More importantly, it could be we are changing their lives or even generations to come, right? I very much remember recently when I was in an airport, this young gentleman walked to me with his wife and said, hey, Ashwin, like, thanks to you, that's why I met her. I was nobody. You hired me, trained me. Now I'm a very successful software engineer, very good. I was able to meet. I have a good family, right? And that's like 13,000 of them. We can do it. I think we can do a lot. But that will require a major systemic change someday. I don't think so personally it's possible. But what we need is a public-private partnership. I'll give you a few examples. Title four. there are 4,000 universities and colleges in the U.S. which are Title four eligible. I don't think so. Not a single of them, you can say, is doing equivalent to an apprenticeship school in Germany or France or in Switzerland. It's not. It's going to take forever to do it. So you need to have the right amount of partnership to solve this. I think that is what Revature comes into the mix. You need another 50 Revatures, another 100 Revatures across many different areas. I think that public-private partnership is very essential. You just expect the education system to change. It's not going to be possible. We just expect Department of Labor to do, it's not going to be possible. But how do you enable this large-scale public-private partnership? I think that is the missing piece. Intentions are there, but we need to change that. Wow. But you've done 13,000 people over the span of time. That's incredible to me. But while you were doing all of this, because you did a pivot, were there challenges? Talk about some of the challenges that you faced, Ashwin. We can't have been just great, all bed of roses and stuff like that, right? Oh my God. Challenges are every day, right? Challenges become uh, part of uh, of it, right? So that is the reason why I have a a positive and successful friend. The reason is my back has all the battle bruises and wounds like that got from the failures, right? So I think that is nothing short of challenges. One of the biggest challenges at the early stage we were struggling is to go ahead and tell and convince the client that these are recent graduates, these are junior talent, but they can be productive for you from day one. That widespread belief was not there. I think that required convincing. And now I think the industry has changed a lot and the belief has come in. The second challenge we also faced is these individuals. They never thought they can be great programmers. They're like, I have never programmed in my life. And you say that you can make me a great programmer. We said, yeah, there is a method. I can't make everybody, but some I can. But you have to be part of the system to realize that. That was a challenge. And But one of the challenges, there are two challenges I foresee now. One is happening now, one is going to happen immediately. I think that is where our head is fully occupied now. The one is technical jobs have become from being homogenous to heterogeneous now. So when we started our career, we just have to read, for example, a Java programming book, and we can get a job and do the job. That's not the case now. You need to have 10 different skills to do a job. So jobs became heterogeneous in terms of skills. I think that is becoming mainstream. Because of that, 
some of these skills are constantly changing. If there are 10 skills, five might be changing constantly every year. I think companies need to find a way to upskill their existing workforce. You cannot say that I am like, I have a skill gap with my workforce. Yes, you have a skill gap, but your people are already busy for 40 hours a week. Dedicated five hours per week for learning, for upskilling them. You will get the return in future. I think that piece is missing. That's a challenge. It's happening now. I'm seeing that wave going on fine. The biggest challenge, Sanjay, which we're going to be thrown out is by the Gen AI and large language modeling. I think I see that more of an opportunity rather than as a problem. People see it as a problem. My personal opinion, Sanjay, it is inevitable. It is happening, whether we like it or not. I think we have to get into it because what it's going to do is this is going to happen for the first time in human history. I can, this is my simple prediction. So jobs are being now heterogeneous based on skills. It is going to be heterogeneous in, based on roles. A financial analyst can also be a programmer. A programmer can be an advisor. The phantom expertise large language models are going to give is going to change the way humans have worked ever in the past. Absolutely new paradigm. Things will be disrupted. I think if we are not prepared, if you're not ready, and if you're not making our enterprises ready for it, I think that is a challenge most of us will face. That's where our head is at. And Sanjay, you know, you and I are also having similar conversations. That is a big challenge, not just revenue. Most of us will have to face and conquer for us to be successful even more. You mentioned a point which I was going to ask you. I mean, there are a lot of talks about Gen AI taking away a huge segment of coding jobs. I mean, there are reports of 30, 40, 50 percent. Companies are saying they're being careful what they say because you go to GitHub, Copilot, and things of that nature. Now. How do you see the future of programming talent and it impacts you also in terms of what you do? What is your thought on that? In the programming talent, I see like two sides of the coin here, right? I have a feeling, see a coin, like people talk about two sides of the coin. The beauty about it, uh, the coin will always have two sides of the coin, right? So both is going to come in through. Let me talk about all the scary scenario that people are talking about, which is, yes, it is going to automate a lot of code. It is going to auto-generate a lot of code. Some statistics I think since March, GitHub, that's the largest code repository, I think they released some statistics that 45% of the code that was like saved in GitHub since March is auto-generated by large language models like OpenAI. Scary. Microsoft boldly predicts there will be a 15 to 20% minimum increase in productivity for programmers. On top of it, there are many other predictions. For example, McKinsey, they just did a simple test. I put a quick thing called Jarvis. They found that 50% of their Analyst job can be automated in a much better job. And as you know, McKinsey analysts are the most talented and most expensive one. So with all these things in place, it is going to happen. My view is going to happen in three horizons. Horizon one, which we are in now, roughly 10 to 15% of the codes could be automated. But I don't believe in that fully. The reason being, LLMs initially, the adaptation is going to add more confusion than solve problems. So once we solve horizon one, horizon two is where the tools like Copilot is going to get in. So the prediction is, it's not my prediction. This is coming from experts. 50% of the programming jobs can be automated. That's massive. When you go to Horizon 3, 75% can be automated. So this is on one side of the automation side of it. But on the other side of the coin, this is going to literally increase the necessity for software and dependency on software like crazy. We have 3.5 billion people in the world as we speak now. Either they work on technology or they rely on technology to do the job. That's going to get much more deeper. And if 3.5 billion could become 5 billion. So the need and reliance on technology is going to increase. IDC is predicting we have 28 million programmers now. 
probably in the next less than 10 years, that we expect it to be 45 million. So the sudden proliferation of technology everywhere, deeper, high collaboration is going to increase the need for technologists. So that is going to, on one side, even there is automation. The other side, you also need human beings to be get more and more of it. So my personal opinion is, yes, there will be disruption. But the number of doors AI will open will be larger than the number of doors it will close, actually. Let's make sure that we are the one being part of the open door, not the closed door, actually. That's good to hear, especially for people who are pursuing a technical career. And you are right in the middle of this whole thing. Ashwin, you know, a lot of our guests, when they come in, they talk about the role of mentors in their journey. Have you had experiences with good mentors? Have they been a part of your success journey? Absolutely. It's not just back in the past, even now. I'm nobody without my mentors, starting from my grandfather, listening to his story. He was arrested seven times by the British government, talking about how he worked with them, how he was determined. I think that was a great one for me to listen to. My dad, I literally saw somebody with a very humble beginning becoming successful. Not only he was successful, he lifted the whole family, the villages around his friend's network. I think that was another mentorship. My partner, Srikant, he's a great mentor for me. I still go to him all the time. I think he was a great person and many other mentors, right? Whether it is Cognizant founder, Frank, or current CEO, Ravi. There are many people I always rely on, go to whenever the time is right to get. And they have always given me the right advice. See, the, the thing which I firmly believe is Isaac Newton said, the best way to learn is to stand on the shoulders of giants because your horizon is much larger than standing on the floor. If that's what Isaac Newton felt, the greatest, arguably the greatest mind, the mathematical mind, who are we? We have to follow it. I sincerely follow that, actually, like believing in mentors and using them very actively. Well, that's great to hear. Standing on the shoulders of you know, giants, I think it's a fantastic thing to keep in mind for the young people. Ashwin, when you were dealing with some of these challenges or you deal with, you know, whether it was in 2008 with the financial and other things, you think your Indianness was able to help you through that, whatever, and we'll come to that part. Was that some of those tough times because you changed the business model, you left a job, etc. No doubt, Sanjay. The two things, right? I'll tell you what, one. To me, if I have to, if somebody says that, hey, you tell me in one word, what is Indianness? I will say to God, we, a lot of times, we want to achieve something. We don't know how, but we get it done. We believe that to God and somehow making it happen out of nowhere. I think that to Godness helped a lot. So I was training, I was recruiting, I was sales. And this industry never existed. I like believing this. It took a couple of years for us to establish this. I think that is a massive one. And I have seen that many leaders. And I can bet you had a similar Jugaad experience, not once, many times. People who don't know what Jugaad means also in some simple terms to please. So, yeah. So for me, I'm not a Hindi speaker, but I will still take an attempt. Jugaad, with the meaning, what I am meaning is it's like magic. Your ability to get something done, what others see as magic, but you see that as the perfect pathway to achieve success. That's my definition of Jigad. I think that okay. is, I hope Sanjay, I made the right explanation there. Yes, very good explanation. Very nice. Exactly. I think that's that really was, helpful. That helped a lot during those tough times trying to make things happen. Ashwin, because to the folks who are listening, young folks who want to figure out during tough times, because if you were a startup or you're starting in a new job, there are going to be challenges. Sometimes your back is to the wall. Things always don't go right. You said several important things. One is the Jugar making things happen. Another thing was skills, luck, 
and being prepared, those things are very valuable, Ashwin. Ashwin, you obviously, you know, like a lot of us, have an Indian part to you and have an American part to you. How do you balance both? Because there's a professional side of Ashwin, there's a personal side of Ashwin. Does it get any hard sometimes or you balance it well? I definitely try my best to balance it. I'm sure there will be still room for improvement. See, the one other thing that I found coming here is there was a lot of similarities between Indian culture and American culture. The one thing which helped me a lot to integrate and adapt well is India, in spite of all the diversity, there was a perfect social harmony brought us all together, the binding. I saw an exact similar thing in America. There are like an extremely multicultural country. At the same time, the fact that there is a social harmony, the spirit of America, the the binding, I found that a lot of similarity. I think that's when I realized I don't want just to live in U.S. just as an Indian. I just want to live as an Indian American. So I try to balance with the perfect integration of Indian and American culture. And I try to live it. I'm still there room for improvement, right? So I think I'm very proud of the fact of my origin, my Indian origin. At the same time, I'm extremely happy that I came and made my living here, plus my kids were born and raised here. And I cannot be happier than that. So that is the thing I sincerely take an attempt. I also tell that to people I meet, to my friends. I think that's something, Sanjay, it helped me a lot, actually. Oh, that's wonderful. You've achieved a lot, Ashwin. Where do you see your, I mean, you're still so young. Where do you see your journey going from here? Thanks for the kind words. For me, I am, this job, I always feel what I'm doing, I'm, I feel both lucky and blessed to run this company. It's not just a good business model. It also is solving a huge social like cost, a very essential social cost. I will be dedicating my career in the talent space, especially in the talent enablement space. Whether I'm doing it for money or whether I'm doing it as part of a nonprofit, but this is where I'm going to do it. We are doing in technology now. I want to see, can I enable it more? Can I make non-degree holders getting into technology jobs mainstream? I think these are some of the areas I will do it, but I will be always be part of the talent enablement business, actually. So that is something which I can sell, sell in future. Where and how, I don't know, but my line of work will be in this line. Well, it's a very important cause because it's helping individuals. It helps families. By educating, you train an entire generation of people, as you said, yeah. and the blessings that you get. Ashwin, if you look back 20 years, 25 years back, and you would have a conversation with Ashwin, what advice would you give to your younger self? That's a big question. I don't know if I deserve that question, but I will take an attempt for it. In my younger self, I will tell, because when I was young, I thought everything was possible and I could do everything, right? I could have told, listen, that's not the case. You have to rely on people. You have to have the right people around you. You have to empower the right people to make it happen. It's not just that you can do it better. I think that's the biggest advice I would have given is the thought that you can do anything and everything. I think I would have told that's not the case. You should have maturity at that. That would be my advice. That's uh, fantastic. Ashwin, last question for you, and it's a quick one, and it cannot be a family member. Who is the one person from India or an Indian American that you look up to as a role model? It's a big question, and it's quite tough to answer because the reason being there have been many role models, many have helped me equally, so it will be very tough for me to do it. But if I have to pick one, it's an interesting one. I'm just still thinking because there are people who have helped me in many aspects of it. And you don't want to 
tick off anybody by not mentioning them. So yeah. Yeah. Just pick yeah. one because we ask this to everybody and we've got very different, different answers. I would go for like two people, I would say, because both one I work very closely, another one I don't worry work closely, but he's an advisor. One is Cognizant founder, Frank DeSosa. I really like the way that he created Cognizant, scaled it, enabled it like an army of leaders within the company. Belief, culture is unbelievable. And he was the perfect example of how you can create an Indian-American culture within a large firm, which is predominantly from India. I think he is a huge thing. He's a good mentor and advisor for me. The second person I would also do it is Srikant, the other founder. So he has been a huge mentor and guidance for me. I think these are the two people I would like to say who was my role model and who still helps me actually. That's fantastic. You know, somebody that you work with also, I think that unique thing. Ashwin, thanks so much. This has been uh, tremendous for us, for what you're doing in terms of talent enablement for so many people, lifting families and helping the talent shortage in the, this country. There are places that people think that talent only exists in course. And I would presume that you can find talent, whether it's you go in the Midwest, you go in the South, and you know there are opportunities for everybody. So I really think for people who are listening, you've done incredibly well. And thank you for being on the show, Ashwin. Thank you so much, uh, Sanjay. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks a lot. And uh, this is one of the fun conversations I had. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.